Thanks for joining us at Divine Church. We're one church with two locations, reaching around the world with our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ. You can partner with us by sharing this video or clicking the Give link below. But for right now, prepare your heart for amazing worship and an incredible message. You have come, we have found life everlasting. Now alive, know you're free, never. together. Your love's so great. Your love's so great. Jesus in all things. I've seen a glimpse of your heart a billion years. Still I'll be singing. Oh, how can I praise you enough? How can 
church? Good. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you this morning. For those of you I haven't had the privilege of meeting yet, my name is Andrew Irwin, and I do get to be one of the pastors here at the Vine Church. And I'm fired up to be with you this morning as we wrap up our message series called Losing My Religion. And if you're new to the the Vine, or maybe just new to church in general, you might be here wondering what on earth a series is. Well, a series is basically just a set amount of time where we're going to talk about a specific subject matter. And the majority of our sermon series here at the Vine are three to six weeks in length, because we've discovered that's about the right amount of time for our preachers to drive a subject into the ground, okay? Just kidding, sort of. Sort of. But this specific series, we're talking about losing my religion. And it's important for you to know that when we define religion here at the Vine, we're not talking about a set of rules that will help you get to God. We're actually talking about a relationship with God that comes through Jesus Christ. And we believe that is something worth protecting and something worth fighting for, which is why throughout the series, we've talked about things that can cause us to very easily give up on our faith or, or lose our relationship with Jesus. And some of those things that we've already touched on throughout this series are things like blaming God or hanging out with the wrong people or even falling into temptation. And this morning, we're gonna talk about something that it's just so easy to find ourselves doing but it's so difficult to actually recognize it in ourselves, and that is loving the world, loving the world. And when we, t- when we say loving the world, what we're talking about is placing the world's values above God's values. So for example, I think we can all agree that our world loves and values stuff, right? Like our world just loves stuff, which is why we've kind of got this mindset about ourselves where we think that in order for us to be happy, we have to have the newest stuff. Like our happiness is somehow contingent upon what we have in our possession. And it's really interesting. Um, I find it fascinating to think that the majority of Americans operate with this mindset that when there is something new or nicer available, that means that it is our time to upgrade, right? To upgrade. Now, I find it fascinating because there's a number of like languages around the world where there is not a word for upgrade. Like you cannot translate the word upgrade into their culture because they don't understand the concept of getting rid of something that still works fine. And so in our culture, man, as soon as there's something newer or better, man, we got to get it. And here's why. We've come to believe that in order for us to live our best life, we have to have the best stuff. And I'm so guilty of this. 
In fact, I find this interesting, like in so many ways, because I actually am very guilty of it and never actually see it in myself. In fact, I've never had somebody come up to me and say, you know what I'm really wrestling with? Loving the world too much. I've never had somebody say, you know what? I just have this issue where I just constantly put the world's values above God's values. No, no, nobody ever sees it in themselves in the moment. But if you look back at your life over time, you can absolutely see seasons of your life where you loved the world more than you loved God. Like for instance, when I was a kid, I loved the world. Like I loved the world with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like, and I laugh about it now because I loved all these things that don't even exist anymore. Like, like, let me give you an example. Like, I loved my disc man. You guys remember disc man? Like, I loved it. And I, I was so cool with mine because remember how you had to hold one of these? Like, you had to hold it just like this because otherwise it would skip. You know what I'm saying? And so the, the other thing that was cool about having a disc man is not only did you have to hold it just so and not really move with it, was that you got to carry around your CD case with you everywhere you went, right? And, and so you would kind of walk around with your CD case in one hand and you're disc man and the other, just thinking you were pretty awesome. Now, there, there were some times when I didn't have my disc man, and if I didn't have my disc man in my hand, I probably had one of these in my hand, that's right. That's right, the Game Boy. Man, I was a Tetris ninja, okay? Like, I loved Tetris, I played it all the time, and if I wasn't listening to music or playing video games on my Game Boy, then I was probably trying to play basketball, which meant that I needed to have the right shoes. I needed to have the pump-up shoes. You guys remember the pump-up shoes? Be real, they did not help me jump any higher or run any faster, but they made me feel better, okay? You know what I mean? Like I was the least coordinated kid, but at least I looked cool, or at least I thought I looked cool. But what's interesting is that I actually didn't only like love things that no longer exist, I loved going places that no longer exist. Like for instance, like when I was a kid on Friday nights after a long week at school, like the place that I wanted my mom to take me more than anywhere else was Blockbuster. <laughs> yes, students, Blockbuster was this magical place that you could go to and you could walk up and down aisles and pick out a VHS tape. And then you could take the VHS tape home and put it in your VCR and the majority of the time, the person before you who had that movie had not been kind and didn't rewind. And, and so what you had to do was you got to watch the movie in reverse first, and then you got to watch it the right way. It was amazing. And then because you actually had to go to a store and get it, you had to go back to that store the next day to drop it off. And my, my plot was always to talk my mom into when we were dropping off the movie at the Blockbuster was to say, hey, you know what would be awesome, mom? Would be to go from here to Toys R Us because I'm a Toys R Us kid, right? Like I don't wanna grow up because I wanted to go there and figure out what stuff I could get. And I look back on that season, I go, man, I loved all these things that don't even exist anymore. And you would think that I would learn my lesson and I would no longer be like tied to the things of this world, but I still am. Like I've still struggled with this. Even after I surrendered my life to Jesus in high school, like I still wrestle with wanting the newest and latest things. And I don't think I'm the only one. Like students, I think you can relate to me on this. Like it's really easy to find ourselves feeling like we need the latest technology in order to keep up with the latest trends, right? Like we need that new iPhone so that we can see the latest pics on Instagram and so we can track the latest music coming on Spotify and so that we can watch the newest YouTube videos on our favorite our YouTubers channels, right? Like we need these things. And we've come to buy into this lie 
that somehow, somehow, we're not enough if we don't have enough. And I wish I could say that it, that was just a student problem, but adults, you know what I'm talking about too. Because you've had those moments where you were scrolling through Facebook or Instagram and you looked at other people's photos and you go, yeah, I'd have a big smile on my face too if I was doing what they were doing. I, I, would, I would feel so much better about myself if, if my life looked like their life. And adults, you've probably wrestled with that moment in time where you were driving by a neighborhood and you thought, man, if I, just, if I could just live there, then I would have made it. Or, or you've walked through a parking lot and you've looked at somebody else's car and gone, man, if I just had that car, if I could just drive that car, then I would have arrived. Like, then I would have everything that I need. And that's because our world tells us that life is ultimately about what we have. And thankfully, the gospel tells us that, that our lives are ultimately about who we are in Christ. And, and we're going to see that play itself out in our scripture passage for this morning. And so if you brought your Bibles or have a Bible app, I'm going to invite you to open with me to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 15 through 17. And as you're getting there, I do want to remind you that um, we're going to be reading something that was written by a guy named John who happened to know Jesus personally. In fact, he was one of the first disciples or followers of Jesus to begin following Jesus. And what's interesting about John is that like, he wasn't just one of the 12, like he was in Jesus's inner circle. So like when Jesus needed just a handful of guys to come with him to do something like really intense, John got like the shoulder tap to be a part of that crew. And I think it might have gone to John's head a little bit because John wrote one of the four gospels and gospel is a word that simply means good news. And so he wrote one of the, the stories of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, which is the best news ever. But when you read John's gospel account, he, he gives himself a little nickname and he does it in such a unique way. Like he, he first off, he, he talks about himself in the third person, which man, who doesn't love somebody who talks about themselves in the third person? I know Andrew enjoys it when people talk about themselves in the third person. See what I did there? Okay. Yeah. But John didn't just say his name. He gave himself a nickname. He, he said, the disciple whom Jesus loves. Like anytime he talked about himself, yeah, the disciple whom Jesus loved did this or did that. Now, I, I don't know how things work in heaven, but here's a little bit of like how I envision it. Like I think that John probably still speaks of himself in this same way. So like when he's hanging out with Peter, he's like, hey, um, Peter, the disciple whom Jesus loves would like the salsa. Can you slide it on over? That, that would be awesome. Can you just pass it right on over to me? That would be great. Like I have this like fantasy that I'm gonna get to heaven one day and I'm, I'm gonna see John and he's gonna be like, what's up? The disciple whom Jesus loved welcomes you. Boom, you know? Like, like it's gonna be really exciting to meet John and hear his nickname from his own lips. I, I don't know, it just excites me a little bit. Now, it is important to note that what we're about to read is not from the gospel of John. It's not the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is actually a, one of the three letters that John wrote to the churches when an issue had popped up. And those of you who have been around churches for a while, you're probably like stunned to hear that there could be an issue in the church. You didn't even know that was possible, but just know that any organization that has people in it is going to have issues in it. And the church is no exception. And so there's a, an issue that has popped up that John wants to address. But here's what's interesting. John doesn't address this letter to any particular church, which means that it was written to be circulated to all of the churches around the known world, which tells us that the issues he's writing about were systemic. They were wide reaching. And he's addressing things that all of the churches were wrestling with. And these are issues that 2,000 years later, 
we're still wrestling with. So let's see what John has to say, picking up with John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. It says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Abides forever. Man, this is, this is a really good passage of scripture. And I like that John starts off with a very clear command. Like he begins by saying this, do not love the world or the things in the world. Like that's, that's very straightforward. It's very blunt in nature. It's simple, but it's not easy, is it? Like it's not easy to do that. And I think John recognized that this was not going to be an easy commandment to follow, which is why he follows it up with three convincing or compelling arguments as to why we should not love the world. And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna walk through each of John's arguments for why we should not love the world. And the first one is actually found in the second half of verse 15. This is what it says. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Translation, you can't love the world and love God at the same time. You can't love the world and God at the same time. And here's why. When you love the world, it pushes out the love of God. It no longer exists within you. And Jesus actually said something very similar. If you go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, it says this, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And how many of you would agree that our world loves money? See, if you had given me a better response, I had all these $100 bills I was going to start passing out, but you guys didn't go with me there. So that's okay. Just pay attention for next week and maybe you get, you know, just track with me. I'm just telling you. All right. Now, what Jesus and John are both trying to make clear is that every time we choose to love the world, we're choosing not to love God. And I know that this can sound a little bit confusing because you're going, well, that's not fair because I can love more than one thing at the same time, right? Like some of you are going, you know what? I can love hot wings and college football because college football's back, baby! Yeah! Anybody else excited? That's right. Now, I'm not talking about the games that happened yesterday, like real football, not gator football. Like real football happens this Saturday. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's getting started this weekend. It's going to be awesome. But in all, in all seriousness, like, like we can love more than one thing at a time, right? Like I can love my wife and my kids at the same time. And there's not like any contradiction. There's no issue with doing that. But I remember, I remember when like my wife was pregnant with our second child, like having this like angst in me about like, am I going to be able to love the second child the way I love the first? Like, am I going to have to take like some of the love that I have for my first child and like pass it on to the second child? And, and any parent in the room who's had more than one child knows that no, you don't divide your love as you have kids, you multiply it. And that's actually what happens for us when we love the things that God loves. When we love what God loves, our love grows. But the opposite of that is equally true. When we love the things of the world, our love actually diminishes. And if you're going, what are the things of the world? John actually spells it out for us in verse 16. He says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life. And so the things that we really want, the things that we really wanna look at and the things that we wanna brag about, 
When we're loving any of those kind of things, we're not loving God, we're loving the world. And remember, you can't love God and the world at the same time. And I'm gonna be honest with you, this is something that I really like, I struggle with a lot. Like, I hate, I hate when people get caught up on this. It breaks my heart because they miss out on so many things. And here's why, here's our second argument as to why. Loving the world leaves us in just such a vulnerable position because the world is passing away. The world is passing away. In fact, verse 17 says it like this, and the world is passing away along with its desires. The world's passing away along with its desires. Like none of you here want to invest in things that aren't gonna last, right? There's not a single one of you who goes, hey, I want to invest my entire life savings in an organization that's about to go bankrupt. You, you would never do that. Like if I was to transport you back in time, back to 1995, and give you the opportunity to invest every last dime you own in Blockbuster, would you do it? No, not, not for a second. Like that doesn't even make sense to you. Listen, when you get to the other side of eternity, you are never gonna wish that you had invested in the world more. Not for a second. There will never be an inkling where you're going, man, do I wish that I had really invested in more stuff while I was on earth for that little itty bitty amount of time compared to the amount of time I'm in eternity. But I think there's gonna be a whole lot of people who get to the other side of eternity and just regret how little they invested in the things that are gonna last for all time. Like this matters. And Jesus actually spoke to this. Like he says in Matthew chapter six, verse 19, he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Like what John and Jesus are trying to make like so abundantly clear for us is that when our heart is towards this world, we are going to end in heartbreak. Like there is no way for you to love this world and not have your heart shattered into a million pieces because this world is fading away. Now, my guess is that there's probably not a whole lot of things that I could get everybody in this room to agree to, but I think we'll all agree on this. Funerals are not fun. Can we get an amen on that? Worst amen ever, but I'll take it, okay? Funerals are not fun. Do you know what my least favorite funerals are? It's when I have um, somebody who had everything in this world that they could have wanted, but they didn't have Jesus. A couple months ago, I got a phone call from somebody in our community asking me to perform the, the funeral of a loved one of theirs. Um, and so I accepted that opportunity. I went and met with the family and they, they told me about this, this man's life. They told me about his, his professional successes and all of his accolades. And he had an incredible career. I mean, he did so many amazing things, not just on an, like a national scale, like, but like on an international scope. He was just remarkably successful, worked in a number of different sectors and just thrived in anything he did. And, and he had a great family life too. Like he had a, he had a successful marriage. He had a, a great like family. He had awesome kids and he had even had a bunch of grandkids. I mean, he lived by all like, but by all worldly accounts would have been considered a very successful life. But when I asked each and every person who was closest to him, what mattered most to him, like what his favorite thing to do was, what, what he really cared about, they all said the same word, golf. 
golf. In fact, they would go on to tell me like, like all of his like best scores and the people he had played with and the courses he had played with all over the country. And he was a great golfer, played like all the, like all the top courses that the professionals play on. He had great rounds, um, like just all these things that they would brag about. They would all tell these tales from the golf course. And listen, I, I think tales from the golf course are a good thing. I am not opposed to golf. I actually like golf. I'm horrible at it. Like if you're a golfer and want to feel better about yourself, invite me. I will make you feel... <laughs> so much better. Like, it'll remind you that I don't play much golf. I do work, I promise. Like, I'm just telling you, like, I am not good, but I do like golf. Here's where golf, like, really gets to me, though. There's a lot of people I've met who love golf way more than they love God. And when you get to the end of your life, it's not going to matter very much if you had a perfect swing. All that's going to matter is whether or not you have a perfect Savior. And I've met too many people who really focused on their swing and completely neglected their savior. And listen, maybe for you, that thing isn't golf. Whatever it is, don't allow it to take the place that rightfully belongs to God. Because God's the only thing that's gonna last forever. In fact, that brings us to our third convincing argument as to why we should not love the world. And it's this, you can be with God forever. You can be with God forever. In fact, verse 17 ends this way. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. See, by doing the will of God, doing the will of God, you get to be in the presence of God for all time. And I wonder if like when, when, G, like when John was writing this, if he kind of had Jesus kind of echoing in his ears as he was composing this, because, John, because Jesus says something very similar to this in John chapter 14, verse 15. This is what Jesus said. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so what, what he's getting at is, like, if you love God, you'll do the will of God. Like, if you love God, you're gonna do God's will. It's like, two sides of the same coin. Jesus often did this. Like, think about the time when somebody asked Jesus what the most important commandment was. What was, what was his response? What's well, to love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He said it all in one breath because what he's getting at is there's no, there's no separation there. One coin, two sides. They both matter. You love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. Well, if you love God, you'll serve God. And when you serve God, you get to be with God. When you do the will of God, you get to spend eternity with God. And this is where I typically start to, to lose people because you go, okay, I'm all for loving God, but I don't know how I feel about doing the will of God because when I, when I surrender my will to God, that means that he might ask me to do something that I don't want to do. And the answer is, the answer that I have for you is, yep, he might. He might. If you surrender your will to God, he might ask you to do something that you don't want to do. And you know why? Because he's not looking at your life through an earthly lens. He's looking at your life through an eternal lens. And he's not all that concerned with how much stuff you collect on earth. He wants to know how much stuff you're going to collect for eternity. And there's a big difference there. And that's a difference that um, a woman who's a part of our church, she's actually on staff at our church named Laura, discovered for herself. See, Laura was going through a season of just, just insecurity, anxiety, self-doubt, 
She just felt inadequate. And she didn't understand why, because she was doing all of the right things, like all of them. Like, like she was in church consistently. She was a part of a connect group. She was giving, she was serving. Like she, was, she was doing the things she was supposed to be doing. And yet she knew, she knew that God had something more for her, but she wasn't all that open to it because she didn't want to do God's will above her own will. Because if she submitted to doing God's will, it meant that she had to go outside of her comfort zone. And she actually knew that there was something specific that God was calling her to that was outside her com- comfort zone. And that was to sign up for VSSM. And, and some of you are going, all right, I've heard about VSSM, Vine School of Supernatural Ministry. Is that something that everybody has to go through? No, it's something that we offer to anybody who's interested in taking that step of really grounding themselves in their identity as a son or a daughter of God. And Laura knew knew that the Lord was calling her to do just that. And so she worked up the courage and signed up. And as soon as she did, like thoughts invaded her mind that were like, you're gonna fail. You can't do this. You're not good enough. It's just not gonna work. And so she, she stepped with tremendous trepidation into that very first night of the SSM. She didn't wanna be there. And she sat there as everybody else was kind of talking amongst themselves. And she was doing the, the palms are sweaty kind of moment. And she's like, am I going to stay here? Or am I going to run? She decided to stay. And the, the night started by everybody going around and, and saying their name. And when it got to Laura to, to just introduce herself and say her name, she couldn't. She, she couldn't speak. She, she felt like, like the words were being choked right out of her. And tears just began running down her face. And I don't think anybody in this room would have blamed Laura if she had decided to run at that moment. But she didn't because she was committed to doing God's will above her own. And she, she came back and she came back and she came back. And two weeks in, things shifted dramatically for Laura. And in fact, I wanna read you something that Laura herself wrote. This is what she said of her experience after two weeks. She said, we dove straight into learning about our identity and I felt like the fully alive and free life I was hoping for became unlocked. Once I surrendered my comfort, transformation took place. He didn't design me to be shy and to have extreme anxiety. I do have a purpose and there's more to this life than just doing the right thing, attending services, serving and tithing. VSSM was the tool that helped me fully unlock and equip me for a free and fully abundant life. And it only became available to her when she took the bold step of being obedient to God's will above her own will. And for some of you this morning, that's the bold step that you've got to take in order for you to make the decision that you are not going to grab hold of this world anymore. And instead, you're going to let go of this world and grab hold of heaven. (laughs) In fact, our bottom line this morning is that you don't want to make the trade for a relation, an eternal relationship with the creator, for an earthly relationship, for an empty relationship with creation. Don't make that trade. Don't trade what's gonna last for eternity for what's gonna be empty in this life. In fact, throughout this series, my prayer has been that each and every one of you would reach a point where you make the decision that you wanna love the things on earth that you're gonna love when you're in heaven and that you're gonna let go of the things on earth that you're gonna let go of in heaven. And here's what I know. A lot of our time 
energy and resources is spent on things that won't matter at all in heaven. What would your life look like if all those things that you focused on and fixated on and stressed about and worried about that won't matter in eternity, what if they didn't matter on earth? And what if you made the decision today to not letting anything come between you and your relationship with Jesus? Peace, bring it all to peace. The storm surrounding me, let it break. That your name will still call the sea to still, the range of means still everywhere. That your name, oh Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, you silence fear. Oh Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, and breathe. Call these bones to live. Call these lungs to see once again. Oh, praise, oh, breathe. Call these bones to live. All these lungs to see once again. I will praise you, oh Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble, Jesus. You shine spirit.
shadows can deny And your name cannot be